Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, a history of the Thirty Years' War. Slight change of topic. This week we'll be covering a group of people for the most part, instead of the narrative of the war. So, I just want people to give that a heads up. Next week we'll start on the narrative again. I found this area was an interesting thing to read about, so I thought, focus on this, and then I will do the actual narrative next week. Next time. And good news, I might be able to get an episode out by next week due to me having a weekend off from work. So fingers crossed I should be able to get that out, but I have nothing else to say, so let's start, shall we? The first thing I want to cover is a man that belonged to a group called the Protestant Paladins, who were effectively a group of smaller commanders who belonged to the Bohemian Revolt and other causes, who were still fighting despite some of the major people having left. The man that I'm going to cover right now is called Count Ernst von Mansfield, who I put a picture of on the website. I just want to cover his backstory, some facts about him that made him interesting and controversial, because it caught my interest when I was reading on him. He was a man who many considered a stereotypical mercenary, or mercenary commander. He was greedy, immoral, a bit power-hungry, and theoretically willing to switch sides if the pay was better. Not that he really did that, at least for the, for the timeline we're on, but he didn't necessarily have the best view but by many people. An important fact to understand about him was he was the illegitimate child and also the 13th natural child of his father, Peter Ernst, who was minor nobility in Saxony. He had no prospects for inheritance, so when he became of age, he began a military career for legitimacy and reward. The fact that he was low status meant he was more aggressive in his trying to grab power and glory and money. What didn't help his attitude was that he advanced slowly due to him being low status and the fact that his pay came slowly and was consistently delayed by the Habsburgs. Whether it was intentional or not doesn't matter for the purpose of this. What does matter is that he grew a dislike for the Habsburg family. He was eventually legitimized by Rudolf II during his service during the Ottoman Wars or the Turkish Wars, the Turkish War, but he still fought more for glory and recognition even after that. He was actually born and raised a Catholic, and I found no evidence to suggest that he converted to Protestantism. He was tolerant of Protestants, which most likely stemmed from practicality due to losing potential clients if he had just said, no, I'm not going to work with Protestants. He found Protestants better clients during the war because they opposed the Habsburgs and they still did pay him, although, again, inconsistencies in pay were a problem. And also adding on to that, remember, he still has that grudge against the Habsburg family, whether it's justified or not. Mansfield was actually an effective organizer, which, with many mercenary connections, that made it easier for him to recruit and gather men for himself and other people. He was also fairly good at tactical and strategic thinking, especially among the Protestants, but he also had a more ruthless streak when it came to the sacrifices he was willing to make on the battlefields. This would result in higher casualty battles, meaning he had to often retreat more, which made him an expensive investment for anyone due to the cost of keeping him employed. But he was a fairly good commander when they could organize. He tended to operate more independently during the Bohemian Revolt because he tended to have his pay not come in on time as much, which forced him, for one, to try to raise money himself. And two, if he wasn't getting paid, he's willing to fight for the cause, but he was going to do it in his own way. So he acquired a reputation of being hard to work with. Interestingly, before White Mountain, he had actually even offered to surrender Pilsen, which, remember, was taken at one point by the Protestants, and was willing to, again, willing to surrender it in competition for a pardon and competition for his cost in the war, which would have been like 500,000 florins or something like that. A large sum of money. He actually even offered to surrender for the price of territorial competition and military command 
among the Imperial forces after White Mountain was done, but that came to nothing. Due to his connection to Frederick, he was assigned to the Palatine Front, which led him to actually be closer to Palatine money and troops, which he could gather around 15 to 20,000 men by 1621. That was his upper limit. He could have less, it could fluctuate, but that was sort of his standard average high number. Holding the Palatine was harder than others because it was a larger piece of territory. So he had more numbers, but he also had more territory to hold. I found him interesting just because this the whole illegitimate child, which drove him to become more greedy and looking for money and make it, to make his own way into the world of nobility in the 17th century. The fact he was a skilled commander did mean that he was potentially worth the money to pay him to work as a mercenary, but I can totally understand why people didn't want to get along with him due to his more aggressive nature and didn't necessarily get along with other commanders during the Bohemian Revolt. So he was the first major bit that caught me along and I just wanted to cover that. Sometimes you just get bit by the bug and you want to fall down a rabbit hole a bit. On to a relevant matter that's coming up. The Palatine was an important area for the rebels to hold since that was still an area they had a decent grasp on. In the beginning of 1621, Mansfield had his forces concentrated in the forested hills of the Upper Palatine along with the isolated garrisons in Western Palatine. One problem with the Palatine, especially in the Lower Palatine, was that it was cut in half by the Rhine River, which made it hard to defend, because you had to defend both banks of it. The terrain begins with fields near the river on both sides, but as you go further east, it becomes hillier and more forested by the town of Heidelberg. The key on that side of the river for Mansfield was the town of Mannheim, which was on the confluence of the river Rhine and Neckar. And the major crossings that were accessible to both sides were at Oppenheim and Germersheim. On the western banks, the western bank, the area was crossed by wooded ridges leading up to mines in the north and Trier to the west. And the main stronghold there was Frankenthal, which was located just west of Mannheim. The area was actually only guarded around 7,000 men or so at the time of the beginning of 1621, which put the rebels in a risky situation, especially since the Protestant Union had collapsed, like I had mentioned in an earlier episode. So, while they were potentially outnumbered by the Catholics, they did have a good defensive position and theoretically could hold out for at least a little bit. Long term, it would have been rougher, but Mansfield had the experience to potentially face off against the more experienced Imperial commanders, especially since some of them were dead by this point. The Paladins had other leaders as well that were relevant. Many of the other leaders were more legitimate nobility and older nobility, but one of them to me stood out as just one I just wanted to talk about a little bit more. His name was Christian of Brunswick Wolfenbüttel. He was the younger son of Duke Heinrich Julius, and his mother was actually the sister of Christian IV of Denmark, which helped him get a position as the administrator of, of Halderstadt, which was the lower part of Saxony. So that was effectively his base for recruiting in, in his political position. He was an ambitious man, and he did want power and glory, but part of his motivation was believing in the chivalrous cause of the Protestants. Like I mentioned in the earlier episode, was these romanticized, they're fighting against the unjust Catholics, blah de blah, blah that sort of thing. He even styles himself as the Knight of the Winter Queen. The Winter Queen was Elizabeth, the daughter of James. Unfortunately for him, and many other paladins, they lacked a lot of funding and a decent recruiting base to gather troops. So... Christian could only gather around 10,000 troops, and that was a mostly cavalry due to the fact that Saxony was a big breeder of horses at the time. So while it was more expensive, it was easier to come by cavalrymen than infantrymen. Keep an ear out for this guy because he will show up in an episode or two. Despite previous episodes showing that the Protestant cause was not in good shape, there were still tens of thousands of men who were willing to join the Protestants to fight. 
The first major factor was there was a large population boom in the HRE during the 16th century that hadn't evened off yet. So the balance of people dying and living or being born was still on the side of people people alive. People were also poor and hyperinflation had set in due to the war, which made food and other necessities very expensive. And combining that with potential overpopulation or high populations led to a lot of young men who were unattached and willing to fight for pay, a bonus, signing bonus, a bunch of money after you leave the service, along with plunder, would have been very encouraging for people who just didn't have any regular prospects, or they desperately needed money. The last factor when it comes to civilians was there was no real competition for recruiting from other countries outside the HRE in Germany. So countries like the Netherlands or Spain was rec- were recruiting from their own empires, and people like France and Sweden and other people who would join in were not really drawing large numbers yet because they were not involved. So mercenary commanders and other commanders in Germany could draw upon a large number of men who were willing to fight. Those commanders could also draw upon smaller mercenary commanders and veteran troops that came from wars like the Turkish War, the wars that happened in Italy, and other crises that had been going on during the late 16th, early 17th century. Those soldiers, due to their skill and knowledge, could bolster the existing militia forces and give them a solid back that they wouldn't have otherwise. The collapse of the Protestant Union had also led to opportunities by people like Mansfields. With the collapse of the, the Union, a large number of soldiers who were willing to fight had nowhere to go, along with other armies that had been disbanded to save costs from various governments and princes. So Mansfield could grab those men, or, or other paladins could grab those men who were still willing to fight. These men still had zeal and the will to fight, so as long as someone has a will to fight and some money, they're, they're willing to keep going. I'm not saying those men were the best organized, but there was still enough motivation to get tens of thousands of men to keep fighting, so that has to be something. There was still fighting to be done, even if the major supporters had all either left the war or were not really available to help fight. I want to thank you for listening in. Next time, we will cover the Battle of, of Wimpfen, which was a lesser-known battle, so look forward to that and potentially another one after that in upcoming episodes. Social media links will be in the description or in other locations of the podcast, if you're on the website or Facebook, for example. You can email me at 3decot at gmail.com or send me a contact form out at the website, and I'll see you next time.